It's Tuesday, April 14th, and we are studying 2 Peter. We're still in chapter 1. We've reached verse number 12, and I want to look at this passage with you as we remember the context. Let's start here in verse number 10, which reminds us that this is all about our diligence, our effort, our supplementing our faith, which confirms our calling and our election. And it's about practicing these, these godly things, these seven things that we've looked at throughout this passage that build on our faith. And uh, if we have these things, we're practicing these things, it says we'll never fall. It'll give us a great sense of stability. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance, or I'm sorry, an entrance into the eternal kingdom. And we talked about that in terms of assurance, in terms of a sense of even reward is intimated in that. And then you have this phrase that only Peter uses, uh, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, after all of that, here's our passage for today. He says, therefore, because this is such a good thing and there's so many benefits to reminding you of these things, he says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Remember, we had seven of them. Uh, just to list them real quick, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Those are the things that are just a sample of a lot of virtues that you could talk about in the Christian life that you add to your faith, that you make every effort to add to your faith. Um, you could have 70 of them, but he lists seven of them, and it's good targets for them, uh, a rail to run on in terms of things they ought to be aiming for and shooting for in the Christian life. He says, I intend to always remind you of these qualities, and I should remember here and just note that word qualities, as we've talked about, uh, is not in the Greek text, not that that's any problem, but we keep seeing this word these, and you could add any word you want to summarize what those are, these things, these qualities, these virtues. I want to remind you about all these things, and I think really because this is not an exhaustive list, you could say these kinds of things, though you know them, so it's nothing new, nothing novel to them, and you are established in the truth that you have. So there's nothing that they haven't heard. There's nothing that they haven't even started to practice in their Christian lives, but it's something that he is saying, I'm going to remind you of. Not only that, look at this phrase, I intend always to remind you of these things. And before we even look at the concept of reminding people of truth or being on the receiving end of someone saying to us the same things that we've heard before, I want to talk for a second about that good godly example of Peter here to intend always. And uh, we may not catch this just by reading it quickly, but the idea of a future tense, the Greek tense, the Greek verb here is a future active indicative verb. And it reminds us that there is a sense in which he is saying, or you could even translate it, that I intend to do this in the future. I am doing it now, obviously, because he just wrote these things and you're reading them. And he says, but I'm going to continue to do these things. I am, I am resolved to do these things. I am going to continue in the future to do the things that I've just done. And I use the word resolved. I like the word resolved because it's a good godly part of the Christian life. It's a good godly thing that people in the Bible have been doing from the beginning. And we're not as prone to do that in our day as we used to be. And I just want to spend a minute thinking about our cultural context and how that has changed the way people even think about making a commitment or a resolve or to use a biblical word, a vow, a promise. Um, think of marriage in general, just in terms of how many people today don't want to commit themselves to a marriage. They don't want a piece of paper. They don't want to feel tied down. Um, they, they're reluctant to get into something they feel bound to. Uh, not just in that. I mean, that's an ultimate example of a covenant promise that we make in our culture. But think about how even our grandparents used to find a, a job as a young person. They would get in that job. They would stay loyal to that job for the remainder of their lives. They'd work 40, 
40, 50 years there. Um, they would buy a certain kind of car and that's the kind of car that they would drive. And when that one wore out, they get the same kind of car and they'd stick with that. They, they were brand loyal in so many ways and they made decisions and stuck with them. Today, people always want to leave their options open. We certainly live in a day of options. You can't go to the potato chip aisle without seeing a million you know, options and choices that you have. And people love to keep those choices open. And so I think it certainly affects the way that a lot of us today think about commitment and, and resolve. I've met so many people, and it seems like it's an increasing problem of people not wanting to promise to do anything. Uh, they don't even want to commit to something next Tuesday, let alone something they're going to be doing a year from now or five years from now. And yet in the Bible, we see a high value on making vows and promises and commitments, certainly godly ones. Like in this case, here is Peter who was commissioned by Christ to feed the sheep. Remember that in John 21? Tend my lambs, feed my sheep. You're going to be a not a, a fisherman anymore, uh, which was the context there. He's out fishing when he should have been teaching. And he says, you're going to be a teacher. You're going to teach the truth. You're going to, in this case, write the truth to people. And he's making a resolve here to keep on doing that. Uh, sometimes we make promises, obviously, we, we don't keep, and, and that feels bad. And I think it's one of the reasons we don't like to make them, because I don't want to feel the guilt of having fallen short of my verbal commitment. But just don't start to downplay or think less of the act of committing. Uh, Peter is giving us an example here of something all of us should value and that you and I should make in our lives a regular pattern. We see a good thing, uh, something that we ought to do, and we resolve and commit and promise to do it. Um, that's the right thing. And we shouldn't do it hastily, obviously. We shouldn't, as Ecclesiastes say, just make vows in the presence of God without thinking it through. As Luke chapter 14 says, we shouldn't uh, you know, just say we're going to build a tower and we haven't sat down first to consider the cost. We've got to calculate the cost. We've got to figure out whether this makes sense. Uh, but that is something that certainly is imperative upon us all to think carefully about what we are to do, what we ought to do, and count the cost and think certainly about a sacred commitment that we make, that God is involved. He's a witness to those promises. So those are things to consider, but we ought to still be about making commitments like he's making here. Uh, let me give you an example. In Psalm uh, 132, it speaks here of David. The psalmist says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, the hardships he endured and how he, look at these words, he swore to the Lord and he vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. And in this case, thinking of the historical case of building the temple here, finding a place for the ark, I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So I have committed to do a good and godly thing, and I am going to resolve. I'm going to make a vow. I'm going to swear to the Lord I'm going to do it. That's just so out of favor, it seems, in our day. And it's a very simple thing in the text. But when he says, I intend always... The state of the verb, the, uh, the fact that this is a, the tense of the verb, a future statement about what he will do, and then adding the word always or constantly, that little Greek word, three-letter word, it, I'm going to always do that. And um, that's just a good reminder to make vows and promises to God that are thought out, careful, they're good, they help direct us, and we ought to learn faithfulness in our lives by the vows that we make, and we shouldn't be afraid of those. Well, what's he doing here? Verse number 12, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. And again, those are the things that have been listed, which are just a sample of the Christian virtues, uh, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, hupomene, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. 
And because these are things that they already knew, it's a reminder of things that they already knew. That's the next line, though you know them. Uh, I want to think about how we learn. So we put ourselves in the sandal of Peter, who's making a commitment to do something in the future, and that's a good thing. We ought to model that. But now let's think about being learners, um, someone giving us information we've already learned. How do you respond to that? I think sometimes we don't respond as well as we ought to. Uh, Peter's going to not shy away from it. He's going to say, I'm going to... I'm going to do this, and I'm going to keep telling you things you already know. Uh, I think if you were to come to church and I said, well, we're going to preach a couple sermons, and uh, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. I'll tell you all the stuff that you know. Uh, I guess unless you're an arrogant person, you think, well, of course, I know everything that can be known about the Bible, about God, um, except for that, if you're just a normal person, you're still like, oh, that's too bad. I was hoping to come to church to hear something new, something novel, something I, I didn't know. In uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 21, Paul was preaching in Athens to the Areopagus, the leader of the academic um, you know, elite there, the prof professors of the day. Um, as he speaks to them, he uh, tells them things that are important and that they need to know. And at the end of it, there's a commentary that's made in verse number 21 where Luke writes in describing the scene, he says, well, the Athenians, and certainly the foreigners, who lived there in Athens would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They wanted something new. And in that particular context, it played in the favor of Paul because some people were saying, you're bringing some new teaching to our ears we haven't heard. And they were split on it, of course, because of the absolute claims that Paul was making. But it's just an interesting statement about the Athenians who only had an appetite to hear things they hadn't heard before. And uh, I often am convicted when I read that passage because I think I don't want to fall into that pattern. And it's easy to do where I'm not going to pick up a book if it's stuff I already know. Uh, I don't want to sit through a sermon of stuff if I've already heard it. Uh, and, and, and if you think that way, right, you could... Uh, you can lose track of the process that God wants to confirm in our lives by driving back into our minds, and I would argue back into new levels of application, um, the stuff that we've already heard. That's a, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. And we ought to think often about if we're turning our nose up at something simply because we've already heard it. Um, it says a lot about your maturity. Uh, how do you listen to something that you've already known, that you've already learned? Uh, can are, are you someone that just wants more pieces of information? I think about 1 Corinthians 8 that says, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. The idea of any bit of information. I could, I could read John 3.16 to you, and, and it's something you already know. But I would hope that you would say the challenge that I have is to take that information. I may already know. It's not adding any new building blocks so I can say, look at all the stuff I know. But it's, it, can I drive this into my heart at a new level? Can I, can I get this to be practiced in my life, even practiced in ways and applied in ways I already have practiced and applied before? So to remind us of qualities that we already know, virtues we already know, uh, exhortations we already know, um, I just think we need to get much more comfortable with that. Matter of fact, I jokingly say from the pulpit sometimes, it's tongue-in-cheek, but I mean it, and that is that I'll say something that will drive us back to applications like reading the Bible or praying more or you know being committed to fellowship in the, in the church. And I'll say things like, uh, you've heard me say it if you've been around here, you'll hear me say, well, you know, that sounds like your grandpa's church, right? <laughs> sounds like something your grandpa's church would say. And then I'll always add, well, you know, well, it may be your grandpa's, you know, pastor's sermon, but it's right. It's true. Those truths do not change. They don't go away. 
Um, here's a passage I want you to look at. Perhaps this is new to you. Maybe you've heard it before. Uh, but Jeremiah chapter 6, 16, I heard this quoted, especially in old books, uh, talking about it. I remember J.C. Ryle talking about this, one of his books called The Old Paths. But it says here, thus says the Lord. Now remember Jeremiah, got the 6th century B.C., He's teaching to a bunch of people that have had the law of Moses for years and years and years, but they had departed from it. They had um, they'd not done what it says. And here is the exhortation of the prophet in what, of course, from Moses's day back in 1400, uh, this all looks so ancient to them. And, and so in you know 550 BC, he says, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths, the ancient paths, where the good way is, right? And walk in it. You'll find rest for your souls, but they didn't want that. They weren't going to walk in it. Sounds like Athenians here. They're just not even interested in doing it. They've heard it. They've been there. They've done that. And even the preacher, you can see Peter in this passage. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. And they said, ah, we're not going to pay attention. We hear it all the time. It's like hearing a, an ambulance siren go by. It's like, ah, I hear it all the time. The, the call to do things that sound so familiar, and they've already heard them. In this, pass, in this passage, they're called the old paths, the ancient paths. And he's saying, hey, that's the good path, and you ought to do it. And if you have someone blowing the trumpet saying you ought to do it, then you ought to see that as a, um, as a positive thing. We ought to not turn our nose up at it. We should not lose our appetite from hearing things that we already knew. Go back to the basics. Sometimes that's so important. Not that we can't continue to plumb the depths of biblical information. But I find a lot of first-year Bible school students or seminary students that just, they turn their nose up at it. I mean, I should find a better phrase for it, but they they just, they, they are the snobbish about the realities of the truths if they feel like, I learned that years ago, or, you know, that's just what the elementary Christians learn. Listen, you ought to be able to go back to the simple truths of Scripture and find value in it. Peter goes, I'm intending to remind you of these things even though you know them. A lot of what we find in 2 Peter, he's already taught in 1 Peter, but he's going to lay it on him again. He's going to say, this is important. I'm going to continue to give you this information. Certainly, um, 2 Peter is driving them to make progress in the Christian life, and that's what I'd like you to do. Even though you know them, even though you're established in them, as Philippians chapter 3, verse uh, 16 says, you got to hold true to what you've attained. Don't leave um, the the progress, and that means that if someone talks to you about quiet times or time in the Word or prayer life or prayer lists, uh, don't just say, well, I, I've already know all that. You may have, you know, grown too big for your britches, as grandpa used to say, that, you know, the idea of you thinking you don't need those things anymore. You need those things. We need them. We need to get back to them. We need to be pressed, even if we are, as it says here, established in the truth. I mean, that's a compliment and how spiritually mature they were, and yet they're still needing to be reminded to love, to be brotherly, uh, to have brotherly affection, to be self-controlled. And uh, sometimes how you listen to a sermon, an elementary sermon, or hear a simple truth is going to be a test of your spiritual maturity. So he's going to go on to continue about these things uh, in these in the next verse, in verse 13. We're going to deal with that tomorrow. But for today, I just want to remind you to be uh, apt, not only like Peter, to make a commitment to do the right things and not be afraid of that, but also to... Um, be ready to embrace even the old truths and not grow tired of those. Be like the psalmist in Psalm 119, who probably is David in my view, who's writing about his love for God's word, his love for the ancient truth, uh, his love for uh, the delighting in God's law. It's God's law, and we should love it even if we've already heard it. 
So subscribe to the channel uh, as we don't want you to miss an episode of this and also comment. Let us know how any of this is ministering to you. And we'll be back tomorrow to continue on in 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll get on to verse 13 tomorrow. Thanks for listening.